Hello and welcome. <laughs> uh, the listeners will just have to guess what that laughter was about. There was a double entendre involved, let me put it that way. Hello and welcome to The Price of Football, the podcast that chases the money behind the beautiful game with me, Kevin Day, and the man who does the actual chasing, often in a Benny Hill style, football finance expert at Liverpool University, Kieran Maguire. Kieran, it's, it's questions day, but we do have a couple of hundred new stories to mention because... The English football season ended and it all kicked off. Eh? <laughs> Very much so. See what I did there? <laughs> See Very what I did good. there? If there was a podcast yeah. section in if there was a podcast section in BAFTAs, it's jokes like that that would get us nominated. Um I've I've got a BAFTA dilemma this morning, Kieran, because as each as each year goes by, I wonder how appropriate it is for me to keep my BAFTA nomination up on the wall. Basically, there's got to be there's got to be a cut off point that no longer becomes relevant. But anyway, firstly, Kieran, first big news story. I'm sure if there is a there must be some kind of football finance expert accountancy award that you've got loads of. You must have hundreds of your mantelpiece, haven't you? Little bespectacled statuettes. Uh, well, well, something. But bizarrely, this week uh, I became part of Wikipedia on 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 the back of this show. Welcome so, aboard. Uh, so yes, uh, and as you can imagine, some people have been busy editing. I mean, I, I had nothing to do with it, of course, uh, but some people have been adding uh, to make it slightly more colourful, shall we say? Given yeah, given right. issues to do with my past. Yeah, did you go with your real birth date in the end? It's it's, <laughs> no, it's caused me actually a mate of mine did it some time ago, and it's 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 nice. There is a certain element of prestige, but it's, I actually got in trouble. I got a call from the tax authorities saying, you've been lying to us about your date of birth. I said, no, I haven't. Because he tried to help me out on Wikipedia by making me 15 years younger than I actually am, which is... <laughs> <laughs> but it means strangers, when they meet me, kind of look, look me up and down. <laughs> anyway, for big, I don't know which is the biggest of the news stories, Kieran, but I think this is probably the most recent. And uh, it's been predicted by you for nine months, pretty much. At Sheffield Wednesday have finally been deducted those 12 points for financial misconduct. But uh, Charlton Athletic uh, certainly won't be happy because if this had been done a week ago, they'd still be in the championship. Yeah, it, it does seem uh, a slightly complex ruling by the uh, by the appeals committee. Uh, so Sheffield Wednesday have been uh, they've been charged and they've been effectively found guilty of um, Dates to do when the with, with when Hillsborough was sold. So yeah. if they they put the sale through their 2018 accounts. Nothing appeared in uh, the land registry to 2019, um, and that seemed to form the basis of the EFL charge. So if the sale of Hillsborough has now has now been excluded from the 2018 accounts, uh, that means that uh, that Wednesday went from making a small profit of just about two million to to a whopping great big loss. And as a consequence of that, it means that they've exceeded the thirty-nine million pound three-year limit for losses, um, and the maximum penalty is twelve points. Uh, so they appear to have been given uh, the maximum penalty. They were also up on uh, on a charge of being naughty boys as well, which is called the utmost good faith uh, ruling. Um, which could have resulted in a further nine points deduction by all accounts, uh, but they've they've been found innocent of that, and, and that makes sense to me because uh, the EFL also charged the the executives of uh, Sheffield Wednesday with a similar uh, with a similar charge earlier this year, and, and again they 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 defended that uh, uh, successfully. So 
12 points is the number. Charlton are, I think, uh, grumpy is the word yeah. I would use. Um, so they, they are threatening now some form of appeal, even though the claim wasn't against them, um, because they, they, they are going to continue to be relegated. And of course, if you drop from the championship to League One, it works out as around about a £7 million hit in terms of the TV money. So you can see why Charlton are unhappy, though who Charlton are at present, given that yeah. their ownership is, is up on on various charges of or, or various accusations of not not putting in money when they've claimed to do. So um, we, we, we have to await on that one. Now, in, in my cursory research, because as you know, there's no point two of us doing a lot of research, Kieran, because then one of us wouldn't sound surprised when these things come out. But I did look at the, the Sheffield Wednesday thing and, and the, the bad faith one as... as the BBC referred to it as bad faith rather than you say a lack of good faith. But so th- does that imply then that the appeal committee agreed that this wasn't a deliberate attempt to cover things up? It was basically an accident or bad accounting, or because it, it seems odd that they they are, are found guilty of one but cleared of another when they're both so intricately linked. Uh, yes, I, I guess that, that what the committee has said is that now that they've seen the paperwork, perhaps Sheffield Wednesday have cooperated with the committee and that always helps in their favour. Um, and it is an accusation. You know, it's, it's a pretty strong accusation yeah. against the executives and, and the club. So, uh, yeah, it's uh, the accounting by all accounts, it has uh, been a bit muddled. Uh, the, the sale of Hillsborough will, in theory, now count in their 2019 account. So that will be a good thing for the 2019 accounts. That the downside is that they're going to start uh, season 2021 on minus 12. And I think this is where things do get really messy, because what would have happened had Sheffield Wednesday got as far as the playoffs. So it could be in the mm. middle of the playoffs. Mm. Uh, yeah, and they did have a dip in form. Um, if, if they'd ended up in the playoffs and then they got the 12-point deduction, you can imagine the almighty bun fight. Um, or they could have been promoted. So, And if they were promoted, uh, the EFL uh, points deductions do not count in the Premier League. So presumably, they, Sheffield Wednesday would have had a 12-point deduction should they ever get relegated? So it all becomes very, very strange. Uh, so I think the timing of this um, and Wigan fans are unhappy because they have been given a 12 point yeah. deduction for this season. Sheffield Wednesdays is next season. There's a lot of inconsistencies here, although the Wigan rulings do apply automatically upon uh, administration. So, yeah, it, it, it's, it's murky as always. Uh, again, it's another indication that we have been married too long because I was about to ask you to explain for those people, especially overseas listeners, who may be wondering why the Sheffield Wednesday one is deferred and the Wigan one was was immediate. But they're, they're a breach of two separate regulations, aren't they? This is kind of illegal, unlawful argument. So Wigan went into administration and that's an automatic 12-point deduction and Wednesday breached some rules that isn't automatic but was once the appeal was heard. Yep. Yeah, absolutely spot on. Yeah. Um, and, it, and it does seem a bit a bit harsh that Wigan do get penalised immediately when 
when the issues to do with Sheffield Wednesday took place in 2018, and effectively that they're being punished in 2021. So it's you know to take three years for justice to, or whatever you know the EFL call justice to take place. But then when you look at uh, QPR and their uh, financial fair play accusations they 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 got their punishment and that took four years to resolve um uh, and as always the only winners our friends in the in the silver tongue profession you, you can imagine range roller dealerships so being <laughs> contacted by by various pas to uh to the to the silks at present yeah that, that is that is such a typical brighton thing to say that's how you that's how you judge wealth isn't it a new range rover They've also treated themselves to a new Labrador and a new Waitrose account. Um, on the Wigan thing, because we, we are recording this slightly early, we're having to record this on uh, Saturday because of, as always, your work uh, commitments and the fact that I believe you've got a rather nice restaurant booked this evening. Um, but I was, I was with some Wigan fans on Thursday night and they were hoping for slash expecting a decision yesterday on that, that appeal, but obviously that's not been forthcoming. Yes, uh, so the, the appeal took place on the 31st of July. Um, it, it should be relatively straightforward, but then we've got Barnsley attending the hearing. Yes, well, we're coming on to that, so let's, um, let's, let's save that for a little moment, shall we? Um, yeah, uh, and pretend that I didn't mention that in the first place. Uh, no, the second news story is a big one, because we only spoke about this last week, because basically no sooner do you accuse FIFA of being gangsters uh, then Swiss prosecutors have launched legal proceedings against FIFA president Gianni Infantino. And my first question, Kieran, is how does it feel to be a grass? Because Uncle Terry will be turning in his grave underneath that flyover. But um, uh, <laughs> and so it, 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 the timing is great because it, it certain people did. <laughs> and I, I appreciate how relevant and, and influential people, some people think we are. But I'm guessing the timing was, you know, just because it only took two days. I doubt if Swiss prosecutors were listening to Price of Football thinking, well, it's not quite as good as Swiss Ramble, but maybe that's because I'm biased. But And then suddenly going, I'll tell you what, we need to bring that Infantino bloke in. Yeah, yeah. So this is this is a new Swiss Attorney General, um, and he's, he's launched an investigation into... Uh, uh, Infantino, who, who, for people that didn't listen to our most recent pod, uh, had a meeting with uh, the former Swiss Attorney General, where, first of all, they didn't remember the meeting taking place. Um, and secondly, neither of them could remember anything that was discussed at the meeting because nobody took notes and uh, they're getting on a bit, so therefore they're a bit forgetful. So that did seem a little bit strange. Um, so the investigation is looking at, first of all, is Infantino guilty of abuse of office? breaches of official secrecy, assisting offenders. Uh, and clearly, if, if you're dealing with FIFA, there's an awful lot of offenders who have mm. been prosecuted and banned um, and uh, giving an incitement to others to break the law. Um, Infantino has responded, these claims are absurd. Uh, so we, we wait to see. Um, and, and in terms of the mafiosa, I, I was contacted by by Christina from Portsmouth University to say, don't, we don't need to worry about this because uh, FIFA are being charged in the US under the RICO 
uh, legislation, and that's all to do with racketeering. Uh, so therefore, it, it's actually probably appropriate to refer to them as the mafiosa FIFA uh, in future. You, you had me slightly worried then when you said that you referred to them as mafiosa and you were contacted by Christina. That's, uh, I did slightly wonder where that, although several of your stories have started with you were contacted by Christina, so it, it could have gone either way. It's it's an interesting one that the American, I mean, because as as well, not as we know about Swiss prosecutors, because they're um, uh, a secretive bunch. But I've, I think most of us know that the Swiss authorities legendarily don't take action like this lightly. Um, Switzerland is a country where in the past it's often been somewhere to lay low or bury your gold. Uh, so it's quite significant that the, the Swiss prosecutors have, have launched legal proceedings against, let's face it, I mean, this, this is one of the biggest well, the most well-known organisations in, in the world, essentially, isn't it? Yes, yeah, absolutely. And uh, perhaps that's why pr- producer Guy's not around this morning, because perhaps he's burying his gold from the show oh, in his Swiss bank account as we speak. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, in, in terms of the Swiss, there could be an element of politics here, um, given that the Attorney General might be trying to twist the knife in his predecessor. We don't know how political appointment or how political an appointment uh, his, his role is. Uh, but, you know, uh, FIFA are based in Switzerland. Infantino is, is based there. It, it doesn't reflect particularly well on the organisation or, or the way it's administering itself. Um, and also we've seen recently that the... Um, Afghanistan football president, he has been banned by uh, FIFA. Um, and that follows uh, allegations of sexually abusing female players. Uh, but FIFA apparently initially ignored the, the protestations, which came from people to do uh, connected with uh, with Afghanistan football. So that doesn't reflect particularly well. It looks like they've got their act together finally. And, and as usual, they've come out with a long-winded explanation as to uh, why it's taken them so long to deal with this uh, pretty horrendous issue. Yeah, it might be nice if they come out with an explanation as well as, as to why there are no female officials registered for the World Cup when everyone was expecting Charles Massey Lloyd, who is arguably the best assistant referee in the country, to, to be on that list, at least from a PR point of view. But uh, no, of course not, because the World Cup's in Qatar and that sort of thing can't be sanctioned. So this is all grist to the mill of the FIFA special that we promised. And, and we had a lot of uh, response to that, Kieran, when we said, when you first raised the mafiosa thing, we said, look, we need to do a, a full pod on this and, and people around the world agree with us. So that's something we are putting together. Now, um, closer to home, but again, something you predicted uh, more recently. Mike Ashley seems to be in complete denial about this. He's got his fingers and his ears whistling, saying, no, it's still happening. But it, it seems to everybody else that the Saudi takeover of Newcastle has collapsed. Is that one reason, Kieran, or many? Um, well, the, the uh, press release, and again, you've got to take these things with a large dose of salt, was said that they were disappointed with the delays and also the continuing uncertainty to do with COVID-19 has, has made the, their decision that they're going to pull out of the deal. Um, Amanda Staveley is said to be heartbroken um, as a result of this. Um, I, I think the issues are actually to do with the owners and directors test. Uh, the, 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 the Premier League has spent 17 weeks trying to decide whether or not they uh, they, they want the uh, the PIF to to be appropriate owners um, 
people will be making links towards human rights issues, but we already have a Saudi owner at Sheffield United. We've got Russian owners, Chinese owners, Thai owners, USA owners, so uh, UAE owners. So, so to separate out one country uh, does seem harsh, I think it's fair to say. Um, there's also, uh, I, was, I was reading some articles, that um, pressure was put on the Premier League from some of the clubs themselves who don't like the idea of the big six potentially becoming a big seven because that will increase competition and uh, some of the clubs at the top don't want competition uh, and, and I suspect there could be a, if we drew a Venn diagram there could be a big overlap between those clubs that have been muttering things to the Premier League that uh, a Saudi takeover isn't in the best interest of football uh, with the uh, the clubs who are now known as the Nasty Nine who wrote to uh, UEFA and cast to say that Manchester City's appeal shouldn't go ahead. So mm. there, there's a lot of politics uh, in, uh, in in uh, Premier League football, and this appears to be uh, connected to that as well, sadly. Well, I wouldn't have thought it would just be the top four or five teams that were against Newcastle becoming multi-billionaires because, you know, clubs like Palace and, and Brighton, at the start of each season, you look around and see, first of all, can we finish above the three that have been promoted? And then you look at clubs like Newcastle, who you'd expect to be in and around us. So, you know, I shouldn't think Steve Parrish would be particularly pleased to see Newcastle being taken out of that little mid-table clutch either. Now, our next story, if, if, it, if I'd been thinking more clearly, uh, and if it hadn't been the morning, which is now when we're... People who like to play Cluedo could work out from the clues we give when we're actually recording this. Um, uh, but Barnsley, <laughs> this is going to come as no surprises story, is it? Uh, Barnsley, the team that would be relegated if Wigan lose their appeal against their 12-point deduction, were invited to make their views known to the commission holding that appeal. Um, that's Barnsley, uh, the team that would be relegated. And I apologise, by the way, if you can hear a strange buzzing sound uh, in the background. It's not a wasp. It's the the bloke two doors down, obviously had a birthday recently in which somebody bought him a sander. Because he's been out, literally, as soon as it's daylight, he's out sanding something. He's going to be sanding my house soon. Um, but there's nothing I can do about it because he's quite a big fella and uh, I don't speak a lot of Polish. Um, <laughs> I, I know, I know, uh, which is, thank you. I like the, the, the Polish shop got me through lockdown, so I know a couple of words. Uh, I also know the look on Polish women's face when, uh, which says, "Oh, it's that idiot again, the one who points and goes, yeah, that one." Um, but yeah, but, but Barnsley being allowed to have their their say to the appeal committee about Wigan's potential twelve point deduction seemed to me to be slightly unfair because we know exactly what Barnsley think about it. There, some Barnsley fans are probably the only people that are not rooting for Wigan here. So that is that normal practice, Kieran. Because they've got a no, lot, they've got a lot of riding on it financially, haven't they? Yeah, it's the first time I've, I've heard of this. Uh, you know, Barnsley did uh, did put out a, a very strongly worded statement at the end of the season, which which didn't make any reference to Wigan, but did make a lot of references to the overall governance of uh, the, the, the Football League um, and then made some specific references to the behaviour of other clubs. Um, so clearly they're unhappy. It, it, Whilst you can fully understand them being completely hacked off uh, with with Wigan's having a hearing, um, I'm not quite sure on what grounds they're entitled to to address the committee. You know, hmm. Because this this hasn't happened before. Um, they are a third party, and surely the the case should be uh, that of the EFL to say, well, these are the rules. We've applied the rules. The rules are unequivocal, and then Wigan's 
defence, which uh, by all accounts is is based on force majeure, um, to to be then considered by the the, the three people on the panel. So to get a third party involved um, is is unprecedented, in my opinion. Yeah. Also, we 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 don't know what Barnsley say or have said. I mean, it might well be that Barnsley say, "No, this it's very unfair that we're going to be deducted twelve points." But if I was a Barnsley fan, I'd be slightly worried because you. This is a situation that could happen to any club outside the top six in the Premier League, as we know, Kieran. Even you know, it only takes your owner or our owners to have some some financial problems, and this could happen to all of us. You want to store up as much sympathy as you possibly can. You don't want to be going around having the reputation as the team that wanted to see another team get a twelve point deduction. But again, until we find out what Barnsley actually said and the outcome of this, I think we should probably move on from that because. Um, we still have 129 news items left before we get to some... We've got some very good questions. Now, oddly enough, this is something else that we spoke about last week, and I'm not suggesting the universe uh, is doing this deliberately, but we talked about um, data gathering on players for computer games, essentially, and and how some football clubs at a very high level have tried to access uh, the data banks of, of uh, computer games because they research all over the world. But and now we we find out in the last couple of days that hundreds, literally, of current and former players are planning to sue bookmakers and data gatherers to try and gain royalties for the use of their personal statistics. Now that seems to me another one for our silver tongue friends. But personal statistics surely are a matter of public record, aren't they? I would have thought. Um, well, I don't think they are. It's a bit like my medical records being, uh, well, if I go to the doctor. Kieran, this, this podcast is already long enough as it is without having to go into those. Oh, medical records. It's fine. It's just your general medical records. We probably uh, yeah, there's, yeah. there's no mention of penicillin uh, <laughs> yet. Um, but, um, yeah, this was a story. This originally broke from uh, David Ornstein in, in The Athletic. And it, it appears to be um, a class action from... Uh, players not just presently playing football, but historically playing football. There's a statute of limitations here of six years. Um, And this is the gaming industry, the gambling industry, but also the the likes of Opta and the others that that put out lots of statistical-based information. And they sell that to clients. They actually sell that to clubs. Oh, Um, I see, yeah. So who owns the data you know in terms of a player's speed height weight uh, you know the number of headers that he wins per match the number of tackles made successfully does this form this does this fall within the overall remit of image rights and therefore the intellectual property to those belongs to the player and if that's uh-huh. the case we will be um, dealing with uh, you know money which is owed to the players. So this is being coordinated by Russell Salad, the the former uh, Leighton Orient owner, uh, so uh, owner manager. He's 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 managed many many clubs. Uh, so he's gathering this on behalf of players. And he says, you know, this could be a huge game changer for, especially for players in lower leagues who who are on shorter careers on much lower pay. So I think he's hoping for some support from this uh, from the the players in the Premier League as well. See, life was simpler in our day. You, you simply wouldn't get a player suing top trumps, would you? Uh, I'm, I'm not no, six foot two, tallest player. That's that's how simple life was. Six foot tallest player, quickest one. But it's it's interesting though because, like you say, intellectual rights. It's one of those ways that clubs bump up, um, or intellectual ownership, rather, I suppose, is one of the ways that clubs bump up a player's salary and wages as well. So it probably does need looking at. 
Yeah, and and by and by all accounts, we're talking hundreds of millions of pounds in in terms of the total value oh, well, okay. of the of the of the action, um, of which uh, I, I suspect a large proportion will go to non-footballers. Right. Okay. Nearly there. Um, Adam Miller is just one of many people who've asked us about this. Basically, will it happen? But EFL plans for a salary cap are set to be put to the vote this week. Yes, so there's an EFL meeting, presumably online, on the 6th of August. Um, the, the news which has leaked out, and, and uh, club owners and directors are quite good at leaking out information, is that uh, in the championship it's going to be a £16 million limit, £2.5 million in League One, £1.5 million in League Two. But this is only going to apply to players who are only over 21. So it wouldn't apply to academy players. Um, And there's supposed to be issues in respect of uh, existing contracts. Um, And I think sort of linking to sort of, if we look at this as an overall topic, um, Pompey's Mark Catlin has Mm. said this could lead to a sort of a a bit of a, a bit of a trolley dash um for players because if you've got an existing contract um it won't effectively be caught within these limits so if the if the deal is or rather if the vote is taking place on the 6th of august it could be that many championship league 1 and league 2 teams will try to get contracts signed by players uh if they're going to be slightly more generous before the 6th of august and therefore that would be a excluded from these particular rules um so yeah that does make things even more complicated but what's going to happen to to clubs that are being relegated because if we take a look at Bournemouth for example their wage bill last season was 111 million now by all means you'd expect players or some players to have uh, relegation clauses uh, but to get from 111 to 16 is going to be tough. Mm. Uh, Sunderland last season in League One had a £27 million wage bill. How can they get that down to two and a half? Um, so it's, it's going to be a genuine challenge. Uh, by, by the looks of things, uh, under EFL rules, I think now you need a two-thirds majority uh, to, to do the votes. And, I, and it looks like it, it could be done on a divisional basis. So that now means, because the season has ended, Wigan, Charlton and Hull... Or it could be Barnsley, for all we know. Um, they will be doing the League One votes. And it does get very messy because if you think about if this is going to be an annual issue, six or seven teams change in every division every season. So what could be ex- could, could be desirable for the, the club owners in 2020, they might decide to reverse that in 2021. And how do you get any sustainability and how do you get any long-term strategy at the club in terms of player recruitment if this is going to be an annual vote, which is could be changed simply because clubs change division? By all accounts, it's going to be pretty close as to whether or not uh, it will be successful. If you take a look at League One, yeah, we've got big clubs there. We, we've got mm-hmm. Sunderland, we've got Ipswich, we've got Pompey, Charlton, Wigan and Hull coming down. Are they going to be keen to vote for that? Uh, yeah, I, I think it'll, it'll be on a knife edge as to which way it's going to go. If it's, if it's a divisional vote, Kieran, does that imply then that you could end up with a situation where the Championship has no salary cap, but League Two does? Correct, yes. Oh, that's... Uh, and and that's, what, that's what we actually have at present. Right. Uh, so uh, the financial fair play rules in the Championship are profit based but there is a there is a form of a league cap 
sorry, wage cap in both leagues one and two at present. Um, I, th- I think the aim of the, the proposals is, is to make it a harsher cap at present in league one. Broadly, you can't spend more than 60% of your income on wages and broadly in league two, uh, it's 50%. But there are small print adjustments to that, of course. Okay, well, uh, controversially, let's let's come back to our last news story in a minute because our, our first question is actually a very specific one and a very interesting one about that salary cap. It comes from Mike Bailey. Um, basically, what Mike says: it, would, would a League One and League Two cap simply shift the problem elsewhere? I.e., instead of massive wages, clubs offer massive transfer and signing on fees to attack the best players. Best players, or would signing on fees be included in the salary cap? Yes, signing on fees, bonuses are all included in the cap. Um, But I I think Mike's absolutely right to identify that the problem could be shifted. Uh, Our favourite story uh, in relation to uh, football shenanigans uh, involves a club paying a player's mother as an academy scout. Welcome back to that, old friend. (laughs) (laughs) But given that the, the salary cap is going to apply to over 21-year-old players only, can you see that clubs now have an incentive yeah. to get the player's partner, the mum, the dad, or whatever it's going to be, uh, give, give them, a, give them a, a no-show job. You know, you know the type of jobs that, uh, that I'm, I'm watching. Uh, I'm watching a documentary series on Netflix at present, which is all about the mafia in the 70s. And, and a lot of the time, they were just given no-show jobs. They were paid a salary. Um, we had, this type of thing does take place in football. I, I know one or two footballers who um, themselves, they get they get a salary from the club and they are also a part-time employee of the owners of the business. Oh. Now, this is another way, of course, right. of just shifting stuff around. Um, so, uh, you know, it's... Uh, it's it's going to it's going to be messy as these things always tend to be. That's yeah. Uh, there, there, there is there is no easy solution. I mean, the EFL take a lot of stick, but they they really do have unless unless club owners buy into the ethos of we're doing this for the right thing for the right reasons for the long term future of the clubs. Unless all club owners buy into that, it's mm. almost impossible to police. Okay, well, for for new listeners to the pod, the club in question was Derby County, and the player was Tom Ince. Um, uh, I don't know. I, I, I don't know Tom Inch's mother's first name. I was going to say Mrs., but that would sound wrong. I think it's Claire. Claire Inch. Oh, well, there you go. Yeah, yeah. Good. Um, the, the only reason I want to include this last story is because it's slightly different, and it's um, and it's, it's American club. We always like to keep our American listeners uh, happy. Uh, Detroit City FC is selling a chunk of the club to its fans, uh, including its biggest fan, Iggy Pop, in a bid to raise. million to keep them going. That's no fun, is it? Uh, And that was literally the only, (laughs) that was literally the only Iggy Pop song that worked. Seriously, the the Rolodex was going for five minutes last night thinking there's got to be an Iggy Pop song that works in their football finance situation somehow, but Iggy's let me down basically. So um, it's an interesting one, this Kieran, because again, Detroit City trying to raise $1.2 million. Uh, uh, our perception is that American soccer is rolling in money the same way that American sport is, but that that doesn't seem a lot of money to me to keep a, an American soccer club viable, Kieran. 
No, but when you when you delve into it, Detroit City are they're not part of the MLS. They're part of the National Independent Soccer Association, um, which is the sort of the equivalent of a third division. There's only eight teams in it, um, and it's sort of it's it says it's quite a few Rust Belt uh, clubs oh, okay. in it. So so they're big uh, they're, they're big rivals by all accounts of Cleveland, and it gets it gets a bit lively here. They they they, they shout abuse at each other in in smiley faces and things like that, um, but. It, Iggy Pop is a fan, and, and the aim here is to effectively sell off 10% of the club. Uh, the shares are going to cost 125 bucks each. The money is going to go to stadium improvements, staff wages in front office, and, and uh, coronavirus costs. And this is actually uh, this, this is following on from a similar approach taken by Chattanooga FC, um, who are uh, again a sort of it's, they, these clubs tend to be more community based. So if, if you take a look at Detroit City. Um, yeah, I, I saw a lot of parallels there with uh, St. Pauli. Um, they have an annual match where um, they, they give all the all, all the proceeds are given to a local charity. Uh, Iggy Pop, you know, is 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 a fan. He has said he's buying shares. And if you go onto YouTube, um, you've got Iggy Pop's voice doing the uh, doing the voiceover for the campaign. Um, and Iggy Pop, Iggy Pop has one of the greatest voices on the planet, in mm-hmm. my view. Uh, so he's he's growling his way through it, and it's a uh, very evocative. Uh, One hundred and twenty-five bucks if if you are a, a Detroit City fan, or you, you're just an Iggy Pop fan, and you want to uh, share in something which uh, he's passionate about. Yes, two issues here. I I do hope that Chattanooga have a restaurant at their their stadium called the Choo Choo. Uh, I'm on I'm on fire this morning. Um, and I, do you know what? I was people. Somebody at home might be able to enlighten me on this because uh, Kieran a guy puts Detroit City is. I never know when it comes to a football club whether you say Crystal Palace are or Crystal Palace is. I'm not entirely sure of the rules on that, and I know about grammar normally. So if anybody could enlighten me on that, that would be uh, lovely. Try direct messaging so it doesn't make us look dull on Twitter. Um, finally, dull, dull, sorry, yeah. <laughs> us, well, I'd say us look dull. Um, I'd, 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 seriously, Kieran, I can't wait for the football season to kick off so we can get some proper news stories to get our teeth into. But finally, 32 minutes and 55 seconds into into the pod, uh, that timer you put up on this is great, Kieran, by the way. Um <laughs> Our second question comes from Andrew Broderick. Uh, for new listeners, by the way, this Monday pod is normally just based on questions, but we had so much news to get through this week that we we couldn't wait for the, the news pod on Thursday. And who knows, we might even ask some questions on Thursday. It's the summer. It's madness. Uh, but Andrew Broderick is a Bournemouth fan. Um, sorry about that in a moment, Andrew. Uh, and he says none of us Bournemouth fans expected Ryan Fraser to sign a short-term contract. As a free agent, will he get a better contract as a result of COVID-19 or will even free agents see wage offers lowered in the current situation? Now, one of the reasons I'm interested in this is that Palace are one of the clubs that um, the tabloids all seem to have down as being interested in. I can't see that because he's only in his 20s. Um, so he, and he's not a defensive midfielder, so he doesn't tick any of Roy Hodgson's boxes. But as a as, as a free agent, is he? Because I mean, there was that was the big story going into or coming out of lockdown was that Ryan Fraser didn't want to to sign that short term contract to play for them uh, in the last eleven games of the season. This episode of the Price of Football is brought to you by the AI powered workspace Notion. What if you had access to tomorrow's tools today in Notion? You do. It's the AI-powered workspace where any team can turn ideas into action. 
My career is sort of a bit like being a butterfly and I'm always jumping from project to project. So therefore, Notion helps me from summarising meetings notes and automatically generating action items to getting answers to any question in seconds. If you can think it, you can make it. And Notion is for everyone, whether you're a Fortune 500 company or a freelance football finance lecturer. You can try Notion for free when you go to notion.com slash price of football. That's all lowercase letters, notion.com slash price of football and start turning ideas into action. That's notion.com slash price of football. Hi, I'm Steve Lamack, and every week I'm joined by Music Allies Head of Insight, Stuart Dredge, on The Price of Music, the weekly podcast all about the money behind the music industry. In each episode, we discuss the very latest goings-on in the music business and dig into the finances behind the big stories. So whether you're a music lover who just wants to know more about what really goes on in the industry, or you're an aspiring musician, manager or label owner who wants some inside knowledge on how Spotify's financial model really works, or what the future holds for independent live music venues, this is a show for you. Subscribe to The Price of Music in your podcast app now. See you soon. Uh, yes, I thought it was an interesting one, this one. I, I got in contact with one of our uh, agent friends, and um, they said um, he is he's likely to benefit from this because um, he has been a Premier League regular. He said he's only 26. Uh, the average wages at Bournemouth are 53 grand a week uh, in the Premier League. Now, if, if, uh, if he goes to a club such as Arsenal, then you know he's 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 set for a big payday, yeah. uh, because you know, they they pay good good wages. Um, if he goes to Palace, Palace's wages are broadly similar to those of Bournemouth, so he he could get a decent deal. Because what Palace would be doing, or any other recruitment uh, club, they will be looking at the total cost to them. Uh, he's likely to be offered what a four-year contract if he's 26. So they look at the total cost, and the total cost is transfer fee plus wages over four years. Now you take out the transfer fee out of the equation, and that automatically means that uh, that the wages potentially on offer are going to be higher. Um, if uh, I think if he was a if he was more of a fringe player, he'd probably have to accept whatever the bidding club offered. But he's got the advantage that there's likely to be more than one club interested in his services. So therefore, I think he's probably got that it tips the balance in terms of negotiations and, and could benefit from this financially. Well, g- given what you told us a couple of questions ago about no shows, we could put him down to Steve Parrish's gardener as well. Yes, or hairdresser. (laughs) No, you'd have to show up for that, wouldn't he? Um, uh, uh, Stuart Hatcher is a Brentford fan, Um, so Stuart would probably be very excited at the moment, but I I suspect maybe not, because Stuart Hatcher, Brentford fan, has asked a proper curmudgeonly football fan question. Uh, (laughs) Seriously, Stuart, well done. I I really, it made me smile a lot, this question, because it it probably reflects the the average mentality of most football fans, unless you support Man City or Liverpool. This is a question you'll probably nod your head at. Uh, And Stuart says, back in the day when we were always in the third division, we always said we don't want to get promotion anyway because it would cost too much. 
wage increases, transfer fees, policing, stewarding, etc. Which is one of those things. Every every single club. I mean, there must be at least three occasions when Palace fans said, "Well, Ron knows doesn't want us to go up. That's why we keep finishing seventh." And so, but Stuart says, "Is it actually better for some clubs not to go up? Are you, you know, is it true that you can't afford to go up? Uh, is it better to go down than get promoted?" rather than just staying up. And I, I suppose, I guess, if you'd rather be a Villa fan than a Norwich one at the moment. But does Stuart have a, a curmudgeonly point? Um, sometimes it is beneficial to uh, be promoted, not spend the benefits of promotion, um, have an air shot in, in, the, in, in the higher division, and then go down, and you're actually a lot better off financially. Well, that's so what we, Norwich, think... fans, Norwich fans have pretty much accused the club of doing that, because there was, sorry to interrupt, there was, there was much more anger amongst Norwich fans on, on social media and on uh, phone-ins, and I know they weed out the calm, gentle Norwich fans on phone-ins, because you don't, that's the last thing you want, is somebody saying to Robbie Savage, no, I think we did the right thing. But it's, um, they, the Norwich fans were quite upset at the thought that they, they they spent very little money and didn't seem to really give it a proper go so this what you say now could be reassuring to them um yes i mean burnley did it i mean burnley had been promoted two or three times and it was very noticeable the first couple of times they got promoted they they said well, well you know, you've done well to get us up we're going to give you the opportunity to play in the premier league that that's the official version the unofficial version is we don't want to spend a lot more on wages we want to um improve the infrastructure to to if we do go down we're actually going to be in a very strong position um to to then have a, a longer period of tenure in the premier league so that worked for Burnley. Um, we've seen Norwich's approach. Uh, Blackpool went up and didn't spend any money. Um, and although there were there were huge issues to do with Blackpool and the Oysters, who are uh, you know they're they're, they're in my scumbag yeah. uh, top ten of all time list. Um, remember the following season they got to the playoffs. So you know they uh, when they dropped down into the, into the championship. So th- this can work to a degree. Um, it, as, as a fan, I I, I don't worry about the wage increases because I'm not paying the wages. Right. Yeah, yeah, so that, that, that bit never, it's never particularly bothered me. Ultimately it's, it's, it's the club's decision or the club owner's decision. Um, but yeah, costs do go up when, when you rise. If you take a look at uh, Brentford in, in the seasons since they've been promoted from league one to uh, the championship, they've lost 105 million. Um, so yeah, that's a huge sum of yeah. money. Uh, but they've had player sales. So, you know, their their development model, which we've we've spoken on a few occasions, is is has helped to reduce those losses. But the uh, the owner has had to go and uh, stick his hand in the pocket uh, to to subsidise the rest. But we could be talking at you know ten o'clock Tuesday night after you know after the the playoff final, and I, I think this question won't be top of the list of uh, yeah. Brentford fans' concerns. Yeah, fair enough. Um, James Cotter. Uh, and I'm, I'm pleased with these questions because they come from individual fans uh, concerned about their club, which is great. James Cotter is a Birmingham City fan. It's a, it's a place I always liked visiting uh, as an away fan and as a pundit, I have to say. Um, but James says that Birmingham fans live with the the, the constant realisation that at some stage they will fall foul of FFP rules. And again, along with Sheffield Wednesday and Derby, Birmingham's name does come up a lot on this pod. But... James wants to know how that can be the case when for several seasons they are so obviously a selling club and not a buying club. Well, um, this 
this is linked to owner ambitions. They did have a guy called Carson Young yep. in charge of them, who uh, who turned out who turned out to be a hairdresser who got done for money laundering in Hong Kong. So yeah, it is a his is a fascinating backstory. Um, but what we have seen, I think, consistently at Birmingham, um, is a willingness to overspend. If if you take a look at the four years between 2016 to 2019. They had total income of seventy-four million pounds, total wages of one hundred and nine. So again, that's before you, before you throw your transfers in. Yeah, um, I, I've been into their transfer details, and um, I know what James is saying now because they've just sold Jude Bellingham a fantastic price, and he's mm. a very exciting prospect. But um, remember, three or four years ago, they had Harry Redknapp uh, as manager. They had uh, Gianfranco Zola as manager. And the club owners, I'm not saying they did anything wrong, were perhaps a little bit starry-eyed. And they just gave them effectively a blank checkbook. So um, Birmingham historically have been spending reasonable sums on players. Um, And I think it's only in the last sort of 12 to 18 months that that trend has, has reversed. And because it has reversed, I think from Birmingham's point of view, um, they're they're probably less likely now to be on the financial fair play worry list. Um, uh, But given their form towards the end of the season, that's the problem. If you do sell players, you end up with the the type of run that they had Mm. uh, at the end of 2019-20. And uh, fans were, uh, you know, I've seen some of the pictures and seen some of the comments and they're they're not happy with the owners. They're not happy with the manager. They're not happy with uh, quite a few of the players as well. Yeah, and of course, managers like Harry Redknapp, uh, Sam Allardyce, Tony Pulis, that generation tend to bring in older players, more experienced Premier League players who come with big wage bills and quite often no relegation clauses either. So that was another issue for, for Birmingham, wasn't it? That they, were, they were landed with an historically large wage bill in the division below the one they couldn't stay in. That's right. And, uh, you know, they've, they've had some uh, his, you know, famous ones with the likes of Nikola Zigic. Yeah. When, they, when they were in the Premier League, he didn't have a relegation clause. Uh, I think they had one season with him in the Premier League and then three seasons with him wandering around uh, fairly relaxed uh, whenever I used to see him play um, on 50 or 60 grand a week in the Championship. Yeah. Now, I, I, was, I was optimistic, Kieran, that we could still, even with all the news stories and even with all the questions, that we could maybe still bring this pod in at under an hour. Um, but then Alistair Lum asked uh, this question, uh, and it's our first ever question about trees. Uh, <laughs> I, I did, uh, I did a, a proper Tom and Jerry uh, double take, wiping my eyes when I first saw this question. But yeah, it, and again, my cursory research shows it to be true. It's 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 up there. You know, you've got your list of top ten scumbags. I've got my list of top ten questions, and this is this is knocking on the door. Um, Alistair Lum. Uh, and it's, for those of you who don't know this story, again, a lot of our overseas listeners may not know this story. A lot of our home-based listeners may not know it, to be perfectly honest. Um, Hector Bellerin offered to buy 3,000 trees every time Arsenal win, which is a, a lovely gesture uh, for the planet. Um, and Paddy Power, as is their way, kind of trolled him by offering to buy 6,000 trees every time they lost. Um, now, Alistair, who I suspect has... Uh, uh, a bit of the curmudgeon in him, like our Brentford supporter earlier. Uh, he wants to know where the Premier League and the FA stand on this because he says it's a general, it's a genuine offer. But quite rightly points out that Hector Bellerin does stand to be actually financially better off if Arsenal lose because he's not having to fork out for three thousand trees. Now, uh, he, Alistair says, "Is there a rule?" And then says, "Because I can't separate the wood from the trees," uh, and then in brackets puts, "Sorry." Uh, 
Alistair, never never apologise for a bad joke, mate. Style out the bad jokes. Take it from me. I've been doing that for a while. You can get away with it quite often. It's it's a, it's a great question, Kieran, but I live in South London. I've got no idea what trees cost. But, I mean, you're surrounded by the buggers, but, but they haven't got price tags on. I mean, I don't know what, what sort of money is involved here, but it, it, it does have a genuine point. Hector Bellerin will be better off if Arsenal lose. And I should think the FA and the Premier League wouldn't be particularly happy about that. Uh well, he he will be better off, but but will he? Because his contract, of course, will have win bonuses. So it could be that all he's doing, he's paying out from his win bonuses to buy these trees. But I think the the issue that Alistair raises is is an interesting. That, that was a sentence you never thought you'd hear yourself say as, as a football finance expert. He's using his win bonus to buy these. We, we don't even know what sort of trees they are or where he's going to plant them. He's not going to be planting them. He's not going to be like Johnny Appleseed, is he? Wandering over North London, scattering seeds. Well, well, sorry, that's going to bring back some memories for you, yeah. isn't it? I'm sorry about that, Kieran. <laughs> <laughs> We're back to Moscow again, aren't we? Um, but Hector Bellerin is is a fascinating footballer because he's gone he's gone big than on the he's uh, he's concerned about the sustainability of the planet. He's yeah, a vegan. Good, good he's him, doing yeah. this, that, and the other. Very green player indeed. Yeah. Um, it does raise the issue of are there conflicts of interest within football? Um, for me, this comes under the the charity banner, which uh, and and there are many players. Uh, certainly, when when remember at the start of COVID nineteen, we had players saying uh, for goalkeepers, you know, for every shot I save, um, I'm going to give a thousand dollars to this or to, to this campaign. Yeah. Uh, we've seen other players saying, if I score a goal, I'm giving. We, we, we've got uh, we've got Harry Kane sponsoring Leighton Orient next season. So, uh, you know, it, it it does come within, in my view, within the remit of charity. But it, it, now that Paddy Power, in their uh, infinite wisdom, have decided to get involved, it, it, it does make you feel slightly less comfortable about the issue. Um, and I think it, it comes back to it, if it was deemed to be gambling, then the, uh, the, the, the FA rules and the Premier League rules would kick in because uh, there, there have been a number of players and uh, owners and uh, in, indeed uh, managers who have been charged historically with gambling-related offences. Partly to this is to do with insider information um, and, and partly to do the fact that there is huge conflicts of interest. Uh, if, if you own a football club, um, you, you shouldn't be involved with uh, gambling yourself. Um, and you know those those owners, uh, you know, and, and that affects Brighton as well. You know, we, we have an owner who is mm. is involved with the gambling industry, as do Stoke, as do Brentford. Uh, you know, they, because people who gamble are often football fans. Um, and, and trying to make sure that there are clear lines of distinction uh, is something which has to be established. And, and you know, to date, all those clubs have managed to do that. Yeah, I still don't know how much three thousand trees cost. Uh, I mean, there was a legendary story about uh, Barry Fry. Uh, when he was at Peterborough, um, which is, is quoted in numerous sources. I think it, it's in his own autobiography where he was um, uh, rather heavily fined by uh, the FA for gambling on one of his players to become top scorer in the league that year, um, which the player did. Uh, luckily, Barry Fry won enough on the bat 
to pay off the fine, basically, uh, which is one of those great Barry Fry stories. But then, because you, you laugh at it, and you go, "Well, that's not really right, is it?" But um, and now, guy, if he's listened to this, will have woken up and he's been frantically flicking through the books to make sure that is a true story because <laughs> uh, it's him that gets there's, sued. There's, there's also stories of players themselves before the FA tightened up the rules. Um, oh. There would be things like you know, first throw in, first corner, and and therefore, I, I remember. Uh, one player said uh, our plan was that uh, we'd, we'd put on a bet ourselves and from the kickoff, we deliberately kicked the ball out of play so that the opposition won the first throw-in yeah. bet. That, that Bellerin story is quite interesting. Again, if you could direct message rather than make it look... Because sometimes people look at my Twitter feed and be going, hang on now, he wants to know whether a football club is or are, and now he's asked how much trees are costing. <laughs> Uh, Leo Hernig, uh, I hope I pronounced that right, Leo. Leo Hernig has a, a more simple question, but it's actually a very pertinent one. Uh, now, some clubs had to take players off furlough to take part in the AFL playoffs. Will they have been allowed to put them back onto furlough if they lost those playoffs? Uh, yes, I've, I've been into the furlough regulations, um, and furlough, uh, you're allowed to rotate uh, in terms of furlough. So therefore, you can take uh, individual members of staff on and off. You can have, say, and also you can you can change the people who are affected by furlough. So you could have, you know, 10 players do, do, a, week, do a week or a month on furlough and then another 10 and things of that nature. Um, so th- there is flexibility within the scheme. Uh, but uh, you know, my, my concern is that the scheme, the scheme is tapering off. Uh, so in September, the employers have to pay more of the wages or have got to pay 10% of the wages. The scheme is deemed to be finished by the end of October. And if football matches are taking place uh, in, in behind closed doors, then uh, my, my, my fears for the lower leagues are, are going to uh, multiply because you know, no money coming in and money having to go out because the clubs are now having to pay the wages. Um, that's uh, that's a recipe for disaster. Yeah, well, it might also explain why the, um, the government was so keen yesterday when they announced the pausing of uh, pilot schemes this weekend at Goodwood and at uh, certain cricket games, that they were still very much aiming to get people back into football grounds by the 1st of October, because I'm sure they're aware of these sort of things. The last question, Kieran, comes from Mark Ridley. Now, I have to admit that we are recording this slightly before the FA Cup final this evening, as we said. So um, if I wake up tomorrow morning and see 3,000 extra trees on Streatham Common, I'll know that Arsenal have won (laughs) uh, the FA Cup and congratulations. But Mark, again, this is another, uh, it's one of those simple questions that makes you wonder why I hadn't thought of it or you hadn't thought of it. Mark Ridley's question is quite, so how much will the FA have lost hosting the FA Cup semi-finals and final in an empty stadium. Now, it's interesting because a lot of mates have been saying this to me and having this in the circumstances, why play them at Wembley in the first place? And I know the players of the clubs involved would love to have played them at Wembley, but this is a situation, surely, when you could have played them at a more local ground uh, and a smaller ground as well and saved yourself a bit of money. Um, I, I guess, that, yeah, I, I guess the FA just take the view that given that they own Wembley, they're not having to pay a rental fee for oh, the yeah. ground, whereas they might have to do that if it was being held at, at Villa Park or or uh, you know, elsewhere in London and so on. 
Um, so, so that's their rationale. Um, and also, the FA are trying to send out a, a very strong signal. It's business as usual within right. football, and this is a tradition. Uh, you know, clearly, we won't having the we won't be having the the it's a knockout uh, on Cup final day, which I used to love when I was a kid between the two clubs and things of that nature. But uh, they are they are trying to showcase this, and also from a uh, from a TV rights point of view, it could be that the contracts that they have with broadcasters is that the match has to take place at Wembley ah, because okay. that's what the, the broadcasters have paid for. So they might have to give them an increased rebate. Um, in terms of the costs, um, I, I went into the FA accounts in detail and broke them down. It's probably going to be it probably cost them around about. You know, around about four million pounds for each of the semi-finals, uh, and probably in the region of five million for the final, um, which is going to be you know, is, is is significant. And the FA has announced job losses. Uh, it has announced pay cuts for senior executives. It's it's, it's certainly trying to cut back on, on the way that it spends money. Um, the FA will have been hit far, far harsher by the cancellation of Euro 2020 this summer mm. uh, because, uh, as, as I mentioned to you, I, I had some tickets for Wembley to see England and they were it was about 170 quid a throw. Yeah, you have, nonsense. You, you have mentioned it, Kieran, yeah. Uh, it's come up occasionally, less so on the pod <laughs> and then the bits before and after the pod. But, yes, it's been mentioned. Um, well, I just like the idea that now not only is Guy Googling Barry Fry gambling autobiography, but young people all over the world are Googling it's a knockout FA Cup final day. <laughs> um, there, there is a, it's interesting, though, because I, I, I think there are still a lot of people – even people who have listened to this pod every week, they're still quite surprised that the FA make money out of their own tournaments. It, it, it took a long time for that idea to sink into me because you always, you, you kind of grow up thinking of the FA as a benevolent umbrella organisation and not somebody who needs to make money out of the stadium that cost them a shed load of money in the first place. Oh, that they they rent out parts of it. Uh, there's uh, there's a UFCB, a university college there, which which I've given talks to and, and uh, yeah, the, the catering facilities, which again were very lucrative uh, for, on non-match days. Um, yeah, it's, it's a horrible, it's a horrible nerdy management uh, phrase, but they've got to sweat their assets. They've got, they've got to make them uh, more valuable than the sort of the 50 days of you know, activity in terms of football, NFL, concerts and so on that they, they, they presently have it open for. Well, I noticed actually a lot of clubs, Palace included, are being quite imaginative now using the space at the grounds because you can have restaurants can open the catering facilities are open they're taking bookings for christmas in a, in a safe way um they're you know parties of 10 20 30 but also they had um in the car park they had an outdoor cinema restaurant experience so that's that's one thing at least where clubs because every club even in the, the smallest club in league will have catering facilities so there was one thing at least that, that there's some income will start to come in from having outsiders in for you know tiny wedding receptions or small functions, so that's some ticking over going on, isn't there? Yeah, yeah, and I think I think clubs will become more and more imaginative, um, and they've they've got to because yeah, you know, without without us punters turning up, uh, you know, in in the Premier League, the clubs are we've said this on more than one occasion that the Premier League clubs are protected to a degree. Yeah. But once you drop down the divisions, uh, yeah, we are we are the bread and butter of uh, of club survival. We are. No, it's been a it's been an interesting pod. Uh, questions stroke news pod. Um, Stroke trees. This is going to be. The, this will go down in history. This is the one when BAFTA does have a, a podcast section. This will be.
be the clip they play because um, we've we've got to be nominated in best football finance podcast category. Surely, <laughs> it's, the Swiss Ramble won't bother coming over, so I think we'll win it by default essentially. So we'll get the speech ready, but that'll be the clip they play: the Hector Bellerin' trees. So I look forward to a, a camera shot of Joanna Lumley looking puzzled for that bit. Um, Kieran, it's been a pleasure. Enjoy your meal tonight. Enjoy the cup final. And I will see you for our usual news uh, pod, which probably will be full of questions. But I imagine Wigan will be talked about in that. And hopefully we'll have the result of the EFL salary cap. So we'll have plenty to talk about. Um, if you do have questions for us, and again, we do, uh, your questions are our bread and butter. If you like. They're more than our bread and butter. They're our bread and butter with um, posh jam on them. I was, gonna, I was trying to think of a posh shop, yeah. I was trying to think Con- of a posh conserve. Conserve, yeah, I, you know, I was trying to think of a posh fruit. That's terrible. No, I couldn't think of a posh fruit. Blueberries? Is that a posh fruit? <laughs> how many how many blueberries is Hector Bellerin? Never mind. Um, questions at priceoffootball.com. Uh, we do have questions that haven't been asked yet. And I know every week people tweet and say they're disappointed that their question hasn't been chosen. It's, it's partly because we get so many questions, which is wonderful, but also because sometimes people ask versions of the same question. So it's not, it's not a personal and it might be that we will get to your question, but sometimes it's just that the salary cap, for example, a lot of people asked us about that. So we just pick out a couple that, um, well, guy, guy picks out the first two on the top of the list, basically. But um, we will get to your questions eventually. But please keep sending them in, and don't worry how broad it is or how specific. Kieran will find a way of answering it for you. So we'll see you next time. And till then, Kieran, your message, please. Well, well, before that, I'd just like to have a big shout out to my uncle Tony. Uh, he's had COVID nineteen. He's presently in a coma. Uh, he took me to my first ever football match when I was eight years old. So. Uh, Yo, big love to Uncle Tone, and uh, yeah, well, I'm I'm uh, I'm rooting for him. Oh, so, well, we all are, and he's that's Uncle Tony who doesn't live far from me, isn't it? That's right. Yeah, yeah, big West Ham fan, but he he, he t- ended up going to Palace in recent years as well. Well, it happens to everybody in the end. But um, well, yeah, g- g- we send obviously love to Uncle Tony, and we hope for better news from him. Until then, Kieran, your message for everybody else is: stay safe, boys and girls. The price of football. I'm for the